The Bible says what? The Bible says what? The Bible says what? What does this Bible say? What? Say what? Say what? What does the Bible say? The Bible says what? Hello again. Here hey, we hey, are hey. <laughs> for another exciting episode of The Bible Says What, and uh, it's going to be fun. We we Absolutely. we are now like almost to a thousand. Um, like plays lots of people and we're just so thankful uh, i don't know which episode this is 13 or 14 or something like that paul always corrects me how far we're in <laughs> i have no Not very idea many. <laughs> but it's been fun so far hasn't it I, absolutely absolutely I was reading one of the comments uh paul on one of the the things we use i think it was apple like itunes thing and someone who just talked about how refreshing it is to have two pastors having real conversations about hard questions I felt so good about that, and I hope that you've enjoyed a little bit of authenticity um, and no uh, form-fitting answers. I think that's what uh, is a real passion of Pastor Paul and I is, and why we started this from the beginning. So thanks so much for listening and being a part of this crazy journey of the Bible says what so far. Are you ready for a new? I'm ready. Let's do this thing, man. This is a doozy. Um, and, and for those of you that are new with us, I'm Pastor John, uh, the one half of the Bible says what duo. Yeah, and I'm Pastor Paul, and I'm from Columbus, Indiana. And we're going to talk about, um, is it getting hot in here? (laughs) Sure is. (laughs) I'm feeling a little flush as I get to our question today. Um, And I think it really does, it attaches to our our, uh, kind of fantastical imaginations when it comes to certain things of Scripture. But here's the question. I'm just going to drop it, and we're going to kind of talk about what do we think about this, what's the influences we see from the outside world into this question. But here's the question. Is there a literal hell? Boom, boom, boom. Great question. It's a question that everybody asks. I mean, you know, it's it's... And one time or another in your journey, uh, whether that is a sacred journey or, or not, you, you ask this question, what, is there a hell? I mean, everyone talks about it. Uh, some people experience it. But it, is there a hell, at least as it's explained and expressed within the Christian Bible and Christian tradition? And that's what we're going to wrestle with today. It's going to be something, man. We kind of like stand at the precipice of like... Woohoo! Freedom! Like, uh, life's good no matter what I do, or holy crap, <laughs> if I mess up, I'm going to burn. You know, that there's a lot of tension, a lot of in-betweens, and I think we want to maybe make the comment right up front that, or at least I do, that I don't have the answer. Paul, do you, did you, like, get some epiphany here before we started where you have the answer? Like, you can just answer, is there a little hell? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think I can answer that question uh, because there is so much uh, cloudiness in this particular topic, and we'll explain why we think this is an unclear topic uh, scripturally here in a second. Uh, it, but it's a dangerous conversation. Let's just be honest. You remember what happened to Rob Bell because of this conversation, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> He's in California surfing right now, not pastoring. Because but let's face it, this is one of those topics, and we've had several of them in this podcast. Where depending on the answer to this question, it determines whether you are Christian or not, at least from certain perspectives. Um, you know, and you could be labeled a heretic based on how you answer this question. And I, I just want to share, just as John said. Uh, on the very beginning of this, this is a journey, 
and we're wrestling with scripture, uh, this topic and every topic that we've done in this podcast. Uh, and, and we're learning together, we're growing together, and uh, I don't have it all figured out yet. So I'm open and learning, and uh, I trust in Jesus. So. Yeah, that's a, that's a great... Uh, precursor to our conversation and we I hope that you will not hit the stop button if you're if you got to the question now at the podcast and you you know you think no there there's only one answer to this maybe you're someone who's listening and you thought I've always wondered about this you know and how does it connect to my faith do I have to believe that there's a hell what's going on so let's just kind of dive in I, I know like anything okay and and this is true with with all um all interpretations of scripture, there are forces at work that are, um, manipulating is a bad word, but that are influencing our perception and our understandings of scripture. And I'm not talking about the spiritual realm. What I'm talking about is just culture, uh, our connection to the world, and the way we think as modern Western people. Um, there are all kinds of things that have attached themselves that make our understanding of hell, or, or really anything in the scriptures, they, they influence our understanding. So we kind of want to just start to unpack what is what is hell from a scriptural standpoint? What are, what are some of the places that it's talked about? What are some of the interpretive issues going on? Um, but before we get to that, I thought we'd have a little fun, Paul. Would that be okay? What are some... <laughs> I, I know for some reason I this have, is, we did not prepare this. We did, so. This is like off the cup. Uh, I, I have like these big gigantic movie scenes in my head when I think of this question first. I, like I'm watching Batman Begins last night uh, oh, with the kids. Movie. Oh, so good! And it's the one where you have the guy that sprays the, the hallucinogen yeah, yeah, stuff Scarecrow. people's faces, and Scarecrow gets nailed with it, and Batman grabs him, and all of a sudden it comes on this view of what Scare how Scarecrow sees Batman. And I swear, it was the devil incarnate, man. It was like this black, nasty face, and it just looked like the epitome of evil. But we have all of these images of the devil and horns and fire and brimstone. and hell. But it's just interesting to me. I wonder for you as a listener, what are some of your influences? Many of us probably have some uh, great uh, hellfire brimstone preachers in our past that, <laughs> that scared us to death. I know my sure. wife has a great story uh, of a VBS. This lady, her, her claim to fame was that um, 70 children got saved every night uh, of VBS. It was the same 70 children each night. Yeah, scared to death, right? <laughs> she remember they, they even had, like, she had red lights on in the kids area and talking about how your sister was going to murder your brother. I mean, just horrific stuff about hell and the end. And uh, we have a, quite the fascination with this kind of thing. Yeah, so I was a youth pastor back in the day, and I took my youth group to one of those Christian haunted houses. And I don't remember the name of it, but it, it was in Middletown, Ohio. Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and, and they gave the, the Hellfire and Brimstone uh, and, and Halloween kind of scare tactics. Uh, and, you know, so there's a lot of that. I mean, and, and to be honest with you, from a, from a historical perspective, there's a lot of artwork specifically in the medieval time period that really started the conversation about the fire, you know. And the devil with uh, kind of the pitchfork and all that stuff, you know, and the red suit. Uh, was that so, a Dante guy? Was yeah, it yeah, Dante's Dante. Inferno? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of like where a lot of this imagery that shows up in movies, shows up in cartoons, uh, right. shows up at uh, VBS <laughs> and all of these things. It, there, there's pictures of this in the Bible, but I think we run with it, 
right? Where Jesus maybe is using a metaphor to try to communicate a message to us. We take things literal and run with it. And then our sensationalism, our fascination with, you know, fire, because, uh, you know, all kids love fire, don't they? Yeah. We, we, we run with it and we take it maybe too far. Uh, we forget about the love of God and we make it about, um, you know, scaring people into heaven. There's a lot of people who are following, <laughs> well, who are Christians because they're afraid of going to hell. I wonder if you're listening today and you're one of those people. Just kind of secretly, like underneath all our feel-good fuzzy stuff, we have this terrified kind of situation going on in our souls of what will happen if I do something that's going to get me out of the grace of God and I'm what if I die tomorrow and some have some unconfessed sin or something, am I going to go to hell, this place of eternal torment, you know? And uh, I, I'm glad we're talking about today because it does have such a uh, influential impact on people's faith journeys, what they think of God, what they think about eternity and their decisions, and even the people in their lives. I had somebody just lost a loved one, you know? And it's interesting to see people journey in those moments especially if they're Christ followers and they're not sure where their family member is, seeing them try to work through how do you live in that tension? What's happened to your loved one? You know, and most of the time we just, we go to the assumptions that they had a God moment somewhere because we need that hope and we can't, we can't grapple with this reality that uh, is my loved one in hell. What does that mean? And so this is a very, I think this will be a good conversation. Um, Hopefully give some folks some freedom to, to know it's not as cut and dry as we once thought it yeah, was. Yeah, and I, and I think, if it's okay to say, I'd like for this to be potentially uh, more than just one conversation, because I, I think the topic deserves, as well as many of the topics that we've been discussing, they deserve a deeper look. And this is one of those that deserves, uh, you know, some detail level kind of work on it. And, and we're just going to kind of go 30,000 feet on this. Um, but there's a lot that we're not going to be able to say just from a time constraint. So yeah, so we'll do that. So let's begin here. The word hell. Let's just start with the word hell, right? Okay. Did you know, you knew this because you wrote this down, but did you know, <laughs> listener, I'm stealing Paul's notes and all his work. Did you know that the word hell uh, came into being around 725 AD, uh, hundreds of years after the scriptures were written? So the, the actual word hell and what we use to translate several different uh, nuances of words in the scriptures, uh, the word hell itself did not come into being till around 725 AD, which is a super interesting little factoid today. So what is going on in the scriptures? We just kind of blanket, and it's interesting over the, over the you know, years that just interpreters of the scriptures were taking... Uh, biblical languages, so Greek and Hebrew, and we're interpreting them into our English language, our understanding of how we see the world and how we understand things. So we take these different words or and, and plop the word hell onto them. So I thought it'd be good. Let's just start this conversation and kind of break that apart, that the word hell wasn't even in the original languages of scripture, the actual word hell but it was inserted there. So where did the word hell come from? It had to come from somewhere. There are instances in the scriptures that reflect the themes of this word hell and what it, what it represents. So we're going to start kind of talk about these four words. So I'm going to drop the words. Paul, maybe you can help. Let's just kind of have some conversation about these and our understanding. So here's the four words that are kind of derived and pl- the word hell is plopped upon. The first one is Gehenna. 
The second one is Hades. The third one is Sheol. And the fourth one is Tartarus. Four words. Gehenna, Hades, Sheol, and Tartarus. So let's talk about that. What the heck is Gehenna? <laughs> yeah, so the translators uh, were, were taking words from the Greek and the Hebrew and trying to put those words into, let's say, King James English. But instead of, because Dante and, and the art and all of that was, was so prominent, they used an English word, hell, to replace the words from Scripture. So, as John said, Gehenna. Gehenna is the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem's walls. It is where they literally burnt garbage. They it was set an actual it off. place. It was a, it, it's a garbage dump. Right. It is called Gehenna. And so most of the time that Jesus is using what we refer to as hell, um, you know, is the Aramaic word Gehenna. And, and that's really, really difficult because we think of, you know, hell as a place, whether it's in the ground or wherever, where there's fire constantly. And, and really, Jesus was using the metaphor of a little gar- garbage dump to warn us of what it's like when we choose not to follow Jesus. I do not think he was literally trying to say, we will burn forever. Uh, but the garbage dump is a picture of what? There was child sacrifices done there. Molech, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's, uh, you know, the, the pictures of uh, people who die in war being thrown in there, uh, their bodies. Um, so it, it's an important word. And I would prefer that the translators put that word in the Bible instead of translating it to hell. Right. So, and some so, and some translations do, but most of them translated hell. And it was a powerful image. Let's you know not forget that either that Jesus was using this because in the ancient world it would have stirred up their imaginations of what life was like living in that place. Absolutely, you know, it was horrible. It was you know there was often long lasting fires and horrific things that happened there. So this it was a powerful metaphor that Jesus was using. We don't want to lose sight of that that it was it wasn't just a happy play. No, <laughs> no, no. This no. was a horrific, you know, but Jesus used used it specifically because his listeners would have connected deeply and instantly with what Gehenna was. They would have seen it. They, they could have visualized yeah, it absolutely. immediately in their memory. And we, and we would have, uh, we go to the Dante's version of hell when we hear the translation of Gehenna to hell, but those people would have went to the, to the garbage dump. Yeah. And I think that's important for us, that there's some history there, there's some metaphors there that the early listeners and readers would have known. Um, so anyway, maybe we need to start imagining what did Jesus mean yeah. when he uses Gehenna in those particular contexts. Now, the and second word, go ahead. I'm saying that will be an important concept here as we kind of move through this conversation and get to a landing point. It's like, what, what is, what's the point? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the second word, right? And it's, so before you drop this, we, we said it's Hades. I thought, I just thought this though. It's interesting how a lot of times in the ancient world and in our world still today, we take these conglomerations of lots of ideas and form concepts, you know? So here we have Gehenna, this burning place, and then we're dropping this thing in Hades, right? Which is the Greek for the grave or the abode of the dead. All of a sudden we start seeing these different things melding into one place that becomes our interpretation. So what's Hades all about? That it was the, it was a Greek idea, right? Well, it's Greek mythology. 
And, and maybe we're familiar with Greek mythology, Medusa, Zeus, all of these characters from, what is that, Clash of the Titans yep. movie. From You know, these ideas are important because they were going around in the time of Jesus. And so Jesus would have used Hades, other people would have used Hades as a metaphor because they all knew it. We don't know that. We're not familiar with that. I mean, maybe some people are that metaphor. So the translators translate Hades as hell. When you think of hell, what do you think of? We think of Dante and the picture and the fire and all that. But Hades is a little bit different. Uh, It's where it's the abode of the dead, uh, the grave. It's where everybody went uh, when they died. And uh, it was not a place of eternal conscious torment, but a you know, a place where uh, the righteous and the unrighteous lived, uh, not lived, but there were there after death. To think of the grave, just the, the underworld, yeah, maybe. It was the under, that's a good way to say it. I think of the underworld, the place where dead people went, you know, yes. which is, again, connected with this next word, Sheol, was the Hebrew equivalent of Hades, you know, and the Hebrew, if you, if you ever want to just take some time and have some head scratching, like thinking going on, really dive into what was the Hebrew understanding of even afterlife it was, it was vastly different. We won't touch that topic today, but it was vastly different than our Western understanding of even afterlife and heaven and eternity. Uh, what did the Hebrew think of it? But this word Sheol connects to that. When you died, you go to this unseen place, the grave, underworld kind of thing. Um, for, for the Hebrew, it was the equivalent to Hades. So we have Gehenna, Hades, Sheol, and now we have Tartarus, which is found only in one place in the Bible, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it is found in Second Peter chapter two verse four, and also Jude uh, thirteen. There's kind of a reference idea. Uh, it's a place where uh, fallen angels wait for judgment from God. Uh, it's only in there once. I don't know where do we, you know what do we do with that uh, when we see a word just kind of and it's lonesome there. I, I think we can't ignore it. No, I think, no, not at all. Right, it, but it does. It, again, I think it's this. It's this merging of concepts, right? So we we have Gehenna as a physical place that brings vivid understanding. We have Hades and Sheol, underworld, and now we have Tartarus. This this dealing with this story um, of what happened to uh, Lucifer and right. the fallen angels we have to we have to explain what's going on there and where these angels are and what's happening to them in the spiritual realm and so we have these merging of different concepts merging of different ideas that we kind of blanket call hell but it's interesting super complex and from different perspectives um, and it's not just one easy cut and dry answer, I think is what we're getting out of these four words. Yeah. So it, it just kind of summarize is hell wasn't in the Bible. There was these four ideas, Gehenna, Hades, Sheol, and Tart, Tartarus. And so what we end up having is they, as John just said, they kind of all kind of come together and we label the word hell over top of it. It's much more complex than this. And that's the reason on a friend and I said it's very cloudy. It's not a very clear idea of what's going on here. And when we group it up together, group them all these four words together, I think we do a disservice to what the original authors are trying to communicate. Because it violates every rule of biblical interpretation when you blanket something like that. Uh, everyone has to be taken, every passage has to be taken in historical context. And uh, I don't think... 
we've done a fair job with this uh, necessarily. So, so now we've got through a little, just a man, just a, a smattering of this interpretive issue and challenge that comes with the concept of hell. But the question still remains: Is there a hell? What is it about? Like, what does it mean? What's its place, you know, in our theology and our understanding of God and how we relate to God. So I thought it'd be helpful just for for our beginning conversation to just kind of go to scripture. And I I happened upon these three scriptures that I thought give us a picture, maybe a little bit of what are some of the undercurrents of the purpose of hell and this reality of um, how it relates to our theology. So the three scriptures I kind of wanted us to talk about, Paul, are Revelation 2015, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, and there's a lot actually going on in that 2 Thessalonians passage, and then Matthew 13, 50. So let's just go, kind of go one at a time. Would that be okay, Paul? Absolutely. Well, and again, what we're trying to do here is maybe get to what is, what is hell, what is its purpose, what are, what are we missing sometimes maybe even when we're fighting over the specifics of it, what's the heart of this whole theme and topic. So Revelation 20:15 says this, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Pretty kind of scary image, right? Uh, we have the so, book of Revelation, which is a whole thing in and of itself. Um, yeah, so can I talk about this one? So Revelation, Revelation was very specific to the first couple centuries, right? And what the seven churches uh, in Asia Minor were going through. And so John was using a particular form of literature to communicate to those seven churches that uh, the Roman Empire wasn't going to win in the end, right? And we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that whatever force is coming against us, right? And so very difficult to take Revelation literally. Uh, and, and so it's, it's a difficult one to translate uh, how that plays out, like a fire. Is that what hell is? Or did the author of John, the Revelator, mean something else by that? Um, and again, we're lumping hell into that conversation of lake of fire. And did he mean that? Right. Uh, and I don't have the answer, so I'm, I'm not yeah. I'm just speculating. This is that example of biblical interpretation. But we, And what we have, and what I find interesting with this passage and with most passages in the scriptures that reference, they, like a, a later passage in Matthew 14, we have a, another image of fire, a blazing furnace instead of a lake of fire and gnashing of teeth. We'll talk about that one. But, it's, but this Revelation passage brings about, I think, this reality of folks who are, who are living in relationship with God and folks who aren't. Mm-hmm. And that there, there is the, the tension here, wh- whether, whatever we believe about where you'll go, the reality is there something is different about a person's life who's following Christ, we believe, as followers of Jesus, that something happens in us that cha- changes us and changes our experience of living here and now and somehow in forever, eternity, than someone who is not yet in a relationship with Christ. We're going to kind of unpack that a little bit, but but that theme comes out in this little passage here, as many others that there, and all throughout the scriptures, really, it, it puts these two pictures of life with God and life separate from God and shows us that there is definitely something different about the experience of life in those two circumstances. 
All right. All right. The second passage. I agree with you. I agree with you. It was I a long have, silence, everybody. I, in the I, well, I had a lot I wanted to say. I had a lot I wanted to say, but I'm going to not say uh, it. Paul's going to leave me hanging out there. Like. No, no. I was trying to figure out how much trouble I wanted to get in, and I decided against it. Fair, fair. Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 9 says, They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now, let me give us, a, I think, a little more context would, would, would help with this one. But this is a great passage. I'm going to read just a little bit more, okay, Paul? So this is the judgment of Christ coming. It's a section in, uh, in 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter, uh, where Paul is giving this picture of the coming kingdom of God. It says, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. He's speaking to the Thessalonian believers. And since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Whoa, you know, that's a, we talk about that another day. Um, it says in verse 9 then, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away, f- away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believe because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you. And so he's giving the Thessalonian church this picture of, you know, they're an afflicted people. They're under intense persecution. And Paul enters in and says, hey, take heart because... Uh, and this theme all throughout scripture, those who are afflicted or oppressed um, that are God's people, God will come and vindicate them and justify them, right? Re- you know, uh, release them from their oppression and also bring consequence to those who are doing the oppressing. So this is like an encouragement passage to the Thessalonians of this is what God will do. You know, take hope. The affliction that you're under uh, will be repaid and God will come and bring you into the place of wholeness with him and all those who oppressed you and afflicted upon you will be punished and experience eternal destruction. And here's a little underlined place that I thought was, thought was real interesting. And they will experience an awayness from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Interesting stuff. Absolutely. So let's unpack a little bit. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the I love the dramatic pauses this yeah, that's episode. Right. That's right. That's right. What are you going to say? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, the, again, this was a picture from the Apostle Paul to a specific group of people who were experiencing a specific thing. Um, and he was giving them an encouragement of hope of, you know, anybody, if you've been oppressed in your life, what's the one thing you hope for? Or you've been affli- someone who has afflicted pain upon you. Like, what's the, what's the thing we hope for in our humanness? Because people get what they deserve, right? Now, whether God is a God who does that or not is a conversation for another day. But this was, a, this was like a, the Apostle Paul standing up on the hilltop trying to stir up the troops, like, you know, take hope. You are not forgotten, and God will punish those who are afflicting you. Um, but there are important concepts that were in the hearts of ancient followers of Jesus here that I think are worth noting. That again, there's this difference between people who are following Jesus and people who aren't. 
Agreed. Agreed. All right. The last one, Matthew 13, which is a lot like these three. This was how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's tough. This is the yeah. sheep and the goats passage. Yeah. Um, right? And then it's separating between sheep and goats. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's just tough. I mean, this is tough stuff. I mean, Jesus is talking about separation. And, you know, when we, we see these categories being thrown around, it's very easy to think that there is a duality uh, between heaven and hell, uh, light and darkness. And Jesus loves to throw out these um, either or concepts. And so when you take a look at these passages and you have an underlying doctrine of hell in the back of your mind, it's, it's really easy to go to the fire and brimstone kind of mentality. And it's understandable. Uh, and these passages communicate severe warning to those who are um, goats in this sense, not following Christ, uh, committing harm towards the kingdom of God. And it's hard for us, I think, a lot of times to, to face the reality of consequence. As I was at, at my church, like to kind of talk about the differences between punishment and consequence, right? And we, I think when we think of things as punishment, it takes our responsibility out of it, right? It's something that someone's doing to me. But when consequence enters into the picture, then all of a sudden it's my own responsibility. You know, I'm not doing something I, I should be doing. And the consequence is I'm going to experience some sort of um effect upon my life. And I think where we get hung up sometimes on this hell conversation, Paul, is that we, we, we kind of set aside this reality of with God or with not without God. And we start to really focus on the specifics of what will happen if we're not with God. Does that make sense? For sure. We focus on the negative instead of the positive being with. Yeah, and we start to lash on or we latch on to gnashing of teeth and the specifics of what hell will be and it's, and kind of lose sight of what I think is even more important is what what is my life like without God? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It kind of, so, and this, this, again, this is such a deep conversation and we're going to talk about this again, but in the midst of our, our talking here, I think we've started to kind of ask the question, then what do we believe about hell then? You know, what is, what does it mean to be separated from God? Is it forever? Is hell something I can experience here in this life now? Is nobody going to experience hell? Is hell not a thing? And God loves everybody. I mean, you hear, I hear in my church, (laughs) the whole expanse from the one extreme to the other. And I think it would be helpful maybe just to kind of put our finger on a few of the different views of hell here as we kind of close out our conversation. Some of the things that we've heard as pastors and talk about them, again, not to have an answer, but I think to maybe uncover what what's most important about this conversation at the end of the day. So what are the, I, I think we have what, three? Yeah, yeah, I put down three uh, traditional understandings of hell. Um, and I think, you know, maybe it, depending on what church background you're a part of, maybe you've only heard the first one. Uh, but there are two that are considered orthodox. Other, there are two others that are considered orthodox and acceptable. All three have scripture that reinforces them. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's difficult because we like, you know, to look at the scripture that supports our viewpoint. So the three are, the first one is eternal suffering eternal torment. That's the view 
that most of us are familiar with. It's what I was raised to understand. Um, this is, you know, we are told this is the Christian and biblical view. Uh, and we probably weren't even taught that there are any others beyond this. Um, you know, in this view, God is too holy to look upon our sins. Our sins have separated us from God. And anyone who is not a Christian will suffer an endless, eternal torment. And there are scriptures that support that. The second one is uh, conditional immortality, uh, a.k.a. annihilation. What do you think of that? Annihilation. That doesn't sound good at all, does it? I don't know. I guess rather than eternally suffering, I'd rather just be gone. I don't know. It also feels like a cop-out to me. Like, (laughs) that's not fair. (laughs) So this view holds that those who die without Christ are doomed to a season of suffering in hell until all their sins are atoned for, and then they'll be destroyed forever and cease to exist. Uh, This particular one has this idea that eternal life is a gift. And so Jesus gives us this gift. Uh, and so then we do have eternity with God in heaven, right? Or in a new heavens, a new earth. If you're not given the gift, then you cease to exist. Uh, that's conditional immortality. There's a condition to it. You receive the gift of immortality or you don't receive the gift of immortality. And if you don't receive the gift of immortality, annihilation. You're just out of luck. Well, yeah. And, that, and there's scripture that supports that one too, John. Yeah. And so even though maybe we were raised with the first one, there is enough scripture to support that, that traditionally this is viewed as orthodox. Uh, and that's an important point. All of you who are listening now and maybe at the very beginning thought, I don't know if I want to listen to this episode because I might lose my salvation. <laughs> you, this is an important thing that many of us like to glance over and act like is not true. But it, the scriptures are complex and you can support a lot of different things and ignore other things that are also supported. I think it's a really important point that both of these things you can find support for in scripture, which it makes it, you know, that much more complex to get to an answer. Right. But let's not forget that truth either. You do not have the market on specific. This is it. This is what hell is. Nobody, you, know, you don't because they, many can be supported by scripture. Absolutely. So stop, stop using scripture to defend the things that you want to be true. <laughs> let, scripture, let scripture form you. So you stop forming scripture. That's my preaching plug for the day. There you go. That's a good one, man. I like that. I might steal that. Ooh. All right. Number three uh, is e- universal reconciliation, a.k.a. universalism. This is the one that Rob Bell was saying, hey— you know, and, it, and for him to even bring it up, and I don't think, I mean, he, he says he's not a universalist, but he posed the question and the church wasn't ready for the question. Uh, but it is orthodox. Universalism is orthodox. Uh, historians, theologians throughout history have believed at the end God will reconcile all things. Uh, so, again, uh, it's complex. Is it eternal suffering? Is it uh, conditional immortality or annihilation, or is it uh, universalism? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and this is tough, because, especially because right now, if you're like me, you lean to what you were taught. You go to your default mode. So you go, well, the first one has to be right, because that's what I was taught. And I believe that maybe there's ways for me, I've kind of rec- reconciled it at all. It's like, I'm really not sure I fall into any of those three categories, uh, the way that they're explained. And, and maybe there's a way to say that there is something as called eternal separation, 
that you're separated from God for eternity. That doesn't uh, use the eternal suffering and torment language. Uh, I could just picture hell being being separated from God forever. That's hell to me. I don't have to throw in torment or torture into the equation uh, to call that eternal separation. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So that's where I'm kind of headed is this, there is separation. Yeah. But maybe not in the way that it was explained through Dante's Inferno. And I think where we fall to the side sometimes is that when we think of the words torment and punishment, those are things that are done to us. Right. Right. So hell becomes a place where I'm separated from God, but God in his righteous anger or whatever is like up there streaming out torment upon people. Right. Or or allowing it to happen. Right. So this is coming like God is allowing this or it's being done to people. And I wonder if we miss the boat that all of these descriptions from scripture about are, are about what life is like without God. So consequences there. It's not, it's not something I will not be tormented forever, but life without God is torment. Yes. I will be tortured, not by God necessarily as the, uh, uh, holding a spider over the flames, like Jonathan Edwards communicated. Uh, I will be torturing myself outside the presence of God. I will be kicked. And life outside. Right. Life outside of the presence of God is torment. That's what, and I want to like, this is where I want us to land today with all of you listening today. Don't get so caught up in what is hell? What is it going to be? What is it going to look like? Let's just sit and rest in this image that is given, this stark and heart-challenging image that my life in the absence of relationship with God will be a life of torment and suffering. Not imposed from anybody else but my own choices, but life without God is not fun and not good and is horrible and is is suffering. I mean, you know what I'm saying, Paul? It's this urgency from God to say, come and be with me because your best life is with me. It's in relationship with me. And any life where you're not living in step with me, you're not living in dynamic or authentic relationship with me, any life outside of that whole life-giving relationship is suffering, Mm, is hell. Can we live in hell now? In that context, I believe so. That maybe those rough times of your life, when you're struggling and crap is happening and you're living outside of, you're not in dynamic relationship with God, you're experiencing the realities of hell, the realities of suffering, because you're not one with your creator. And what, for me, that is such a different motivation. Because I tend to, when I, when I experience painful things or when I experience brokenness in my life, those are the moments when I most quickly run back to God. I don't know about you. You know, I start to, to stray and do my own thing, and then I feel, I feel the touch of hell, right? I feel the torment of being separated from God. And man, I don't want to stay there. I want to live in wholeness with my creator. And my, my prayer for you as a listener today is that you would maybe set aside your, uh, our desire to want to have all the answers of what exactly it will be and how it will happen. And instead, look at the heart that I believe Jesus communicates to us, why it's such an urgent, powerful, all these metaphors are so powerful and, and stark, is because Jesus wants us to know 
and to grapple with the truth. What is life like without him? And it's hell. That's right. And, and there's so much more we want to say about this, and we will leave it for another. But maybe, yeah. as John says, there's a present reality called heaven and hell, uh, the, the, the wide road and the narrow road, right? Uh, one leads to life and one leads to destruction. And I believe that that is re- a real thing that we've all experienced. But I want to caveat real quick. Because some people may be listening have experienced trauma in the hands of someone else. And so you are paying the consequences of somebody else's sin. That doesn't mean that you're being punished by God because of that. It's very important that we see that we all deal with the consequences of each other's actions. And just because you're experiencing hell on earth does not mean that it's your fault. God is not punishing you. This is the reality of free will that causes us to to deal with suffering on this earth. But it's not God's design nor his will for anyone uh, to experience uh, abuse or or, uh, trauma or woundedness from the hands of someone else. And I just want to throw that caveat out there because maybe you're listening today. And I definitely don't want you to mishear what John and I are trying to communicate when we talk about hell on earth. Yeah. And other people's hell can touch us, can it? That's the hard reality of our world today. But also leads us to the good news of Christ. Mm -hmm. Because, and we just celebrated this a couple days ago, you know, two days ago, on Easter Sunday. What what does Christ do to death? He he doesn't claim victory over it. He transforms it. Mm -hmm. And he takes, our big idea for this past Sunday, shameless plug, was that God, Jesus transforms our our lost causes into places of potential, you know? Mm, that's good. So your place of brokenness, a lot of us inflicted upon other people or by other people in our lives can become a place of potential in the hands of Jesus. Mm. So whenever we move towards him, we move towards the realities of the kingdom of heaven, which is healing and wholeness and restoration and redemption of things from our own doing and imposed on us by the actions of others. And anytime we move away from Christ, away from his relationship with him, we move towards the realities of hell, suffering, brokenness, hurt, and even lingering in pain that God otherwise would like to heal, you know? So there you go. That's good good stuff, man. That is good. That's That's why I follow Jesus. Amen. And I mean, I mean, that's maybe what it boils down to is that we have this realization that there are real consequences and, and there is this life available to us. Uh, and that's a positive aspect and an encouragement to all of us, no matter what we're going through in this very moment, God offers us life through Christ. Um, and even in the midst of the hell on earth, it doesn't always have to be this way. I love that. There's hope. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be this way. Man, I could preach that mess. Thank you, you, Pastor go. Paul. Well, hey, this was not as scary as I initially thought it would be, Paul. <laughs> I'm very scared, John. I'm very scared. I actually thought that was a very hopeful and uh, helpful conversation. I, we hope that is true for you as well as a listener, that you were encouraged today, that you were challenged, um, that your brain was tickled and your soul was stirred, right? Uh, it's, it's been a good conversation, and we're glad that you took the time to join us today on The Bible Says What. And uh, Looking forward to our next topic. You, are you excited about the next one here, Paul? Did you see what I wrote down yet? 
We're, we're taking a break from some of these heavy things, okay? Well, I, I, so we're going to get to, have you ever wondered? I had somebody ask me a couple, oh, yeah, couple okay. months ago, what about, what about the Gospel of Mary? There you go. You know, like what's what happened? Why isn't that in? It seems pretty important. Mary was like a part of the story. Why didn't which we... Mary? Yeah, which Mary? <laughs> I, I don't really know which if she knew which one she was asking about. But why we have these other um, what what do they call them? Their their um, ancient writings that are not a part of the canon, extra biblical sources. Why didn't they make it into our Bible today? And you in our Bible is even different from other. Bibles, Catholic Bibles, and, uh, you know, Hebrew Bibles, and what's, you know, what's going on with that? So we want to just take a, a, a sidestep, maybe after a big heavy topic like this, we thought, well, let's just talk about um, what, how are the books of the Bible chosen, and why is that important for us as followers of Jesus? So that's what we're going to talk about uh, our next episode of The Bible Says What. So you know what I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be some kind of interesting there, John Gibson. <laughs> Absolutely. We would actually love to have you had any exposure to extra biblical text. Um, what what are some of the others? Was there one from Joseph? Josephus was a no. That's a historical that's a historical book. thing, yeah. right? What uh, are the yeah. other ones that are out there? I don't. I'm I mean, there, there's really all there's familiar. all kind of a uh, there's there's all kinds of a Thomas. I mean, they're just they're just oh yeah, all, Thomas. That's right. Yeah, there's all kinds of books that are out there, and, and it's a good conversation. Now, it's not something that I have uh, studied in depth, uh, but there are some books that are out there that are worth studying. And so it's not like it's a good or bad thing. And, and I want to encourage you to, to listen to that next episode because uh, I think we all can learn as we uh, dive into uh, not just the historical books around the times of Jesus, but other books uh, that are being, being written today. They can teach us quite a bit about Christ. But the canon is the canon. And uh, we'll talk about that. It's going to be good. Is that image of a cannon shooting off? (laughs) Not that cannon. Another kind of cannon. We'll talk about that next episode on The Bible Says What. I'm Pastor John. And I'm Pastor Paul. And we will see you next time. Grace and peace. The Bible says what? The Bible says what? The Bible says what? What does this Bible say? What? Say what? Say what? What does the Bible say? The Bible says what?